message is I'm going to share very briefly about a believing unbeliever, a believing, quote, believing unbeliever from Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 24. If you'd make your way to the book of Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9, Acts 8, beginning in verse 9. And there was a certain man called Simon who previously in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to, <coughs> excuse me, and to him they had regard, because that for a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, excuse me, the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's not the norm for uh, the uh, New Testament to Christian. This was a book of Acts, was a transitional book, and uh, uh, the Spirit of God wanted uh, each group, the, the Jews, the uh, Samaritans, the Gentiles, to see the manifestation of the Spirit of God uh, in a dispensational way, that is, in the stewardship of time, so that all of the world would understand what that is about. So uh, it was at a delayed time. In verse 18, and when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Simon, uh, in our text, was a, quote, believing unbeliever. Zach just told you and testified that uh, up until the last month or so, he, uh, uh, he was believing. He, had, he was self-deceived. I believed uh, uh, up until recently. At least I didn't have any reason not to believe, because I can't see his heart, nor could you, that he was, uh, in fact, a saved man. Um, and yet, deception was there, as was the case with Simon here in Acts chapter 8. Three points if you're taking notes, a couple of points if you're taking notes. First of all, I want to share with you the characteristics of a, quote, believing unbeliever, someone who is not saved. He is a lost person who is in the church, but is in fact an unbeliever. Why did Simon remain an unbeliever 
instead of a true believer as the others who had been mentioned. Let me uh, recognize or identify and bring out of the text two very clear indicators of why that happened with Simon. And uh, it seems to be the very same thing, not, not knowing exactly precisely what Zach was going to be sharing, what happened with him. First of all, misplaced faith. A characteristic of a believing unbeliever is that person has misplaced faith. Notice I didn't say no faith or lack of faith, but believing in something other than the finished work of Christ. For lost people, especially religious lost people, uh, believe, and they believe strongly that this is the way uh, that I ought to be, this is the way I should behave, this is what I should believe, yet it is misplaced faith. Simon uh, is the poster child for that. He had faith, but the focus of his faith was not the finished work of Christ, which was the case for those other Samaritans who were saved. Instead, he wanted the fruit of salvation. He wanted the benefits of it. Uh, Maybe for someone here, uh, uh, it's the benefit of life insurance, fire insurance, i.e. not being uh, plucked up and thrown into the fire. You want that. Uh, You want uh, the benefits of the the camaraderie, the fraternity uh, of church life. Maybe your spouse uh, uh, is born again, and uh, you coming along, you also want to be in the life of the church, to be with her, to be with him. Maybe your parents Parents are, and as a child, you think that well, I uh, I need to kind of uh, go in the way of uh, mom and dad. And there's any number of things that could cause there to be misplaced faith. But Simon didn't repent. He didn't believe with all his heart. In fact, I'm going to be sharing this evening from the last portion of Acts chapter 8. Notice in verse 37, we'll look ahead uh, very quickly. Uh, Philip said to the the man from Ethiopia, he said, if you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. Uh, Simon had not believed with all his heart. He had head knowledge. Certainly he had that. And in fact, folks, he uh, even deceived the apostles. Peter was led to believe that this is a true Christian. The others were led to believe, or else they would never have baptized him. Do you follow that? So Simon, not only was he self-deceived, others around him thought that this is truly a believer. He was believing, but he was a lost church member. He was a false convert. He was a professor without a possessor of the things of God. How many times have we heard this and have we seen that? And maybe even today, you would be one who would say, uh, I've had that on my heart for some time. I've worried about that in my own life. That why is it that others have zeal for God? Why is it that others are enthusiastic uh, in their worship? That they give themselves to the study of the Word of God, to prayer, to witnessing, and I kind of just go through the motions. I'm just kind of limping along. Why is that? 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine to see whether you are in the faith, the true and living faith of the true and living God. That happened in Zach's life very recently. Misplaced faith could be and is, in fact, one of the characteristics of a, quote, believing unbeliever. Secondly, misguided motivation. If Misplaced faith is the what of being a lost church member. Misguided motivation is the why of it. To Simon, what was most important is that he, what, what he would be able to gain. What can I gain from this? 
what will embracing Christ, what will acknowledging he is Lord do for me? Well, that's entirely the wrong motivation. Folks, salvation is not primarily to keep you out of hell. Salvation, salvation is primarily, primarily to bring glory to God. Amen? Missions is not primarily to help uh, uh, other nations along. Missions is primarily is so that the nations will proclaim, He is Lord. And so the motivation for what I do matters. For why I do it. And what I believe, <clears throat> years ago, decades ago, 30 years ago probably, just when I was becoming a senior pastor here, a, a, a woman called, middle-aged woman called the church one day, uh, asked the pastor, I, I got on the phone, and she was quizzing me about uh, what we believe. Okay, that lines up, I like that, yeah, that sounds good. And everything seemed to be just fine, theologically, how we function as a church. I didn't know this person. Didn't, hadn't met because we were on the phone. And before we got done, she said, now the reason why we're looking around for a church home is so that because my daughter is a budding opera singer or some kind of a singer. She's 12 years old and she has a voice to die for already and she's on lessons and she takes lessons and just she's all about vocal singing. Do you have opportunity at Redbridge for vocal soloists? I said, well, we do. In fact, we have, uh, we have soloists regularly sharing <clears throat> the greatness of God through song. Uh, uh, Sierra grew up uh, as, a, uh, as a youngster. I can remember, <clears throat> Sarah, Sierra, how old were you the first time you sang a solo here at church? Ten? Four? <laughs> I won't go back that far, <clears throat> but I can distinctly remember thinking to myself, there's no way that voice is coming from uh, a... Uh, uh, someone not even in the teenage years yet. And of course, you all have been blessed uh, with that. Now, were she had the heart or the countenance of being a prima donna, uh, of being a performer, then I dare say she would never be on the platform. Amen? But she doesn't. It's ministry in song. Well, this woman went on to ask me, would my daughter be able to uh, perform vocally on a regular schedule, regular basis. What she was saying was, we're interested in your church as a platform to enhance my daughter's ability. We want it for gain. What can we get from it? Y'all appreciate it? Y'all follow that? And folks come to worship services, dare, uh, none, of, uh, none of us do that, in their minds saying, what can I get out of that worship? That is entirely the wrong, it's, it's the polar opposite of what the motivation should be. The motivation should be, what can I give? How can I bring glory to God? How can I be a blessing to others? And folks, a church that operates that way, it's heaven on earth. Because the Lord will visit that local church. The Lord will pour out his anointing upon that local church when it's not about me, it's about thee. And it's about being a blessing to others. Well, Simon did not have that in his heart at all. He had misguided motivation. Now, notice here in verse, thir- uh, verse 11, 13, uh, in the King James, uses the word bewitched in both of those places. It literally means to stand out from. It's to uh, astound someone. It's not the idea of bringing an evil spirit upon them, for the very same word is used in verse 13 of um, of. Simon being amazed at the power of Philip. And so the people were amazed at Simon and 
he supposedly got saved and the apostles laid hands on the, all those who got saved so that they may receive the Holy Spirit. They didn't upon him for whatever reason. He said, oh, I want that too because I want to do the things that you can do. I want to, I'll pay you. I will pay you to place the Holy Spirit in me. Even he, he didn't even see how self-deceived he was of the motivation that he had. And so, the characteristics of those who think they're saved and are not, their faith is not in the right one, not entirely, and their motivation is altogether corrupt. It's to gain something, it's to save face, it's to look good, it's to go along to get along, instead of my motivation is I am dead in my trespasses and sins and I know that the Spirit of God is gripping my heart and I'm sensing the dread of condemnation. God, help me. Jesus, save me. Is that and was that your motivation? I hear from Zach that that's exactly the case for him in recent weeks. Secondly, what's the cure? The cure for any, quote, believing unbeliever is also in this text. And it's found primarily in verse 22. Notice, if you would, in verse 22, Peter says, repent of thy wickedness. Turn from it. And, and, and as you do, pray God that he would perhaps, you're not, you're not forcing God, you're not demanding, you're not commanding. How can anyone demand or command anything of the infinitely uh, Great and glorious and eternal God. No, you are crying out to him. You are a needy beggar. So Simon was not a backslider in a Baptist church. He was a lost church member. That is clear from the text. Peter said, it's your wickedness. He wasn't a true child of God. He was lost and he was in desperate need of spiritual life. Now, take note. He had just been given a huge amount of gospel light. Peter had preached. Uh, And certainly, the people in Samaria, just being a little bit north of Jerusalem, and Jesus having come through Samaria, he knew of Jesus. Maybe he even encountered Jesus. And the apostles came and preached to them. And folks were saved. And the Spirit of God fell upon them. uh, And there were manifestations of signs and wonders. He had been given a lot of gospel light. And yet, he remained lost. What was lacking? What was the needed cure for Simon here in Acts chapter 8? First of all, there's the need for heartfelt repentance. It's the missing doctrine in evangelism in our day. Somehow, the body of Christ at large has been fed and has swallowed the errant theology that making a lost person comfortable is the best course of action. Folks, uh, uh, if you hear here as a lost person today, I don't want you to be comfortable. I want you to be profoundly uncomfortable. I want you to be, in fact, dreading the condemnation of God that hangs over you right now. I'm not going to feed you uh, medicine that won't help take care of it. I want you to take medicine which will give a cure. And the first thing is the doctrine of repentance. Uh, Dan Penamone, former member here at Redbridge uh, and a pastor, Uh, for many, many years and even decades. Uh, He gave me permission to share this this morning. He said uh, that he went through Bible college, he was associate pastor at one church, and then pastored another church 
all the while he was lost. And Zach, very much, uh, you just recently completed a Bible college degree, isn't that correct? Uh, and, and, and had courses in theology and went to chapel and has heard preaching here for years and years and years and yet remained lost. Why? Because of not repenting. And so what is biblical Repentance. Repentance is metanoia in the Greek New Testament. It means to change one's thinking, but Scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, so it plays out in a radical transformation of one's life. It is a turning from and a turning to, which is exactly what Paul said about the Thessalonians, that they turned to God, but they turned from their idols, from their own way, from their religion, from their good works, from their whatever it was. There is a radical 180 degree turn. I'm dead to that. I'm forsaking that, and I am embracing the gospel and doing so with my whole heart. So I ask you, have you repented? Repented unto uh, salvation. If you, have you ever found yourself to be utterly guilty before God, renounced your rebellion, your waywardness, renounced your religion, and fallen wholly and solely upon the mercy of God to forgive you and make you his child? Now, certainly there are many here that that has happened in your life. And to God be the glory. But there very well could be some who have misplaced that faith. You might be thinking, preacher, pastor, you're being, you're being too narrow, uh, being too uh, definitive in this. How dare you suggest that I'm not saved? I'm not suggesting you're not saved. Uh, I, I'm exhorting you to examine yourself as Scripture exhorts you to do that, to see whether or not you're actually in the faith. Uh, my, uh, uh, my wife alluded this morning in a testimony in Sunday school opening to a woman I encountered uh, at the fitness center. 93 years old, I found later, uh, 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 calculated her, her age based upon her life story that she gave me and everything. And at the end uh, of her speaking to me for about a half hour, she was just, just telling me everything about her life. And I was uh, listening and asking follow-up questions and all. I, talked, I asked her about uh, eternity. I said, now look, uh, the, if the truth of the matter is, uh, you and I are both on the other side of the crested over the top of the mountain. She was 93. Uh, and she readily admitted that. And she didn't believe anything. Uh, it's just whatever happens, happens. I said, you believe something. I'll tell you what you believe. You believe you're here right now, don't you? Uh, cogito ergo sum. What? I think, therefore I am, right? Or as 13-year-old boy says, I am, therefore I eat. That's another story, though. So you know you're alive now. And you know you're going to die. Because world history tells you enough that. There's enough statistical evidence, as Mark says, one death per life. Right? And I went on uh, to share uh, and to talk about life in Christ and the hope of eternity and all. And it was as if the, the blinders were on, uh, the ears were, were blocked uh, up, there was no repentance anywhere to be seen. Now, I'm not judging a heart. Just presenting the facts. Zach just presented uh, the, the experiential evidence of his own life, the anecdotal evidence. This is the biblical evidence that there are, in fact, any number of believing unbelievers. It's because there hasn't been repentance. And secondly, what's the cure? Saving faith. Saving faith at the end of verse 22, that God would have mercy. And forgive your 
sinful wickedness. Biblical faith and save, uh, biblical repentance and saving faith are flip sides of the same coin. If you have a coin, you take a coin out of your pocket, it has a flip side. It has one heads and it has tails. On the very same coin of the gospel of salvation, there's biblical repentance. I have turned from my own way and saving faith. I have truly with my heart embraced the gospel. Uh, apart from that, there is not salvation. So it is always right to exhort a person to turn from his own way and turn in faith to the Lord. Zach quoted it, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, old th- he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Has there been a point in time in your earthly pilgrimage where you could say that there was actually a, a pivot point And it happened right here at this time. You might not know the exact date, but I was heading in this direction. And and Grandma shared with me. My Awana leader uh, instructed me. My parents did. uh, The preacher did. Or I read it myself. Or someone witnessed to me on the job. And it came to myself. Conviction poured into my soul. And I said, God, help me. I am lost. I am judgment. headed uh, Headed for judgment. Headed for hell. But Lord Jesus, you came. And you provided eternal life. I want that. I'm calling upon you. Save me. And you turned and received him wholeheartedly. Doesn't mean you became perfect. It meant that you, from the desperation of your soul, no holding back. You are Lord. I am needy. And I call upon you to save me. Oswald Chambers wrote, The proof that I have been through crucifixion with Jesus, that is, I've died with him, is that I have a decided, a definite likeness to him. Do you hunger and thirst after the things of God? Or are are you casual and kind of take it or leave it, just kind of going along with the group, growing along? Or is there the individual, personal hunger and thirst after righteousness? John MacArthur wrote in his book, The Gospel According to Jesus, many erroneously believe that they come to Christ, receive absolution and immortality, that is forgiveness, eternal life, then walk away to continue living life as they please. Now, his saving work is not dissected uh, from his lordship. When a person truly is born again, uh, they are receiving him as savior, forgiver of my sin and the master of my life the Lord of all eternity. Nothing short of repentance from sin and faith toward God in Christ will save. Remember, Simon looked like he was a believer. He even fooled the apostles or they wouldn't have baptized him. Maybe you have as well. Are you a believing unbeliever? How can I know? Well, don't focus on what happened as a child, as a 16-year-old, as a 20-year-old. Where are you right now? What is your heart right now? Because who you are now is who you are. Doesn't that follow? And so do you truly embrace Christ in Christ alone? Having forsaken the old man, because he's dead if you're saved, and you now live unto him. 
It does not mean practical perfection any more than if you follow me around uh, every single day that you're going to see me walking in perfection. Not the practical expression, but was there a day, a moment of being born? Was the umbilical cord cut, that is, from the world, and now you've been released into God's family? If not, then I would caution you that you very well are a believing un believer and there's the need for biblical repentance and saving faith lord would you do that work as only you can in coming upon hearts to convict and to draw to yourself so thankful that that happened and has happened in the life of zach hadley and the testimony that he has given in that and lord there very well may be very well are if your word uh, uh, it plays out uh, today that uh, there are tares among the wheat, there are goats among the sheep, and that would be the case even now. A man or a woman, a young person, wrestling with this issue and having been wrestling with it for some time, now it's come to your head. That is your providence. That is your goodness in bringing this to our attention today. And Lord, would you now grant saving faith, repentance to turn from sin, which is a gift of God, Faith to believe and receive you, which is a gift of God. We ask for your kindness, your mercy to be evident, to be manifest in this place. And by way of uh, internet, that you would touch the hearts of those who are watching, who don't know you, that granting, that would, you would grant repentance unto life, eternal life, even right now. By your spirit, Lord, do this. Bless the preaching of your word. Transform hearts and minds in this very moment for your glory, Lord Jesus, in your name.